Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have a very interesting podcast coming up. Later on, I'll speak with Terry McCauley, former NFL referee, who is also the rules expert for Sunday Night Football on NBC Sports. We'll talk a little bit, a little bit about officiating. But uh, Terry's got a little uh, interesting project that he does uh, weekly on his uh, personal Twitter account. I think you'll find very interesting and very uh, musical, shall we say. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that with Terry in just a few minutes. But uh, I want to do some commentary. Uh, Of course, if you read the Gazette Monday afternoon or Monday evening and into uh, Tuesday in the print edition, uh, we broke the story that uh, the uh, union hockey program has gotten some funding from the state. Uh, for uh, a new hockey rink at Schenectady's Mohawk Harbor. $10 million was allocated in the uh, state budget recently, uh, secured by uh, Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara. Uh, Shenandoah, Briere, and I uh, talked with uh, all the parties involved in this uh, uh, announcement uh, on Monday. It's a great, I, to me, it's a great uh, chance things going on because uh, Union definitely needs a new rink. Uh, Mesa Rink. Is built in 1975. I mean, it's a great facility. Uh, you know, if you look, go back to the days when Union was just dominating and winning uh, ECAC regular season titles, uh, tournament titles. Of course, uh, two uh, Frozen Four appearances, including the national championship in 2014. Visiting teams hated coming in here. I mean, I equate this to you know, my youth following the Philadelphia Flyers and the Spectrum flu. Achilles Rake. The fans are right on top of you. The noise reverberates throughout that facility, especially when you get a, a, a sellout crowd there. It's just noisy as heck, and uh, it was really to uh, Union advantage during that run that they was just totally dominated. I know I talk, spoke with several players back on that uh, championship team, and uh, you know, there's been there's always been talk about you know getting a new facility and. Uh, a lot, a, lot, a lot of the players said they really didn't want a new facility because they, they enjoyed the home ice advantage, and uh, I can understand that. Uh, the capacity of this new rink that, you know, we're still, obviously there's still more funding needed to get construction underway, and we we're talking about the total cost of the, the uh, project is going to be between 40 and $50 million. Uh, but there's going to be less than 3,000 seats in the building, but there'll be plenty of room for standing room, and I... Uh, talking with uh, Jim McLaughlin, um, the athletic director of Union, by phone on Monday night. They said they wanted to keep the atmosphere of uh, you know, a mess of rink at this new facility, which uh, right now is unnamed. But, uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, you can't help it. I, to me, I, it's a no-brainer. Um, as I said, you, you know, of rink was built in 1975. They've had some refurbishing over the years uh but it's it's outlived its usefulness there were issues with the the, the facility and they really throwing money at it, it's going to be a waste of time I, and a waste of money and you, you, it's not going to help improve the facility uh you can fix one problem and another problem crops up so uh i think that the time is right and i know 
a lot of people I've, you know, after posting the story on my Facebook page and a couple of uh, groups, uh, Facebook page, including the Union Hockey Group, some people, and even on Twitter, some people are just like, why are they moving off campus? Uh, well, first of all, where on campus are you going to build a facility? Uh, I mean, to me, the only place you can do it is the old soccer field, but that's still being used uh, by youth programs. And uh, sometimes, I mean, I don't know if the, uh, the men's union, men's and women's practice there sometimes when they can't uh, use the, the uh, college park facility, but uh, it's land that you, I guess, unions does not want to give up. And I honestly, the more I think about it, I don't think there'd be enough room. And of course, the other issue is the parking. Let's face it. Parking at Mesa is nuts. You, you have to get there early. I mean, I, yeah, back when I was covering the first go around, I tried to get to the ring by five fifteen just to get a try to get a spot in the back. And that, sometimes it was it was you had a spot, and sometimes you were just parking on the street uh, behind the rink, and you just had to hope your car wasn't towed by uh, the Schenectady uh, police or the you know, city of Schenectady. But uh, uh, and of course, out front in front of the rink, the, the rink there's barely any parking anymore. And of course, you have to realize there's students there as well, and it's just it's just a nightmare. And, and, and this is to me a, a no burger. There'll be plenty of parking. You have at least two parking garages at uh, the, the casino there, uh, Mohawk Harbor, is where the, the facility is going to be built, and uh, land is being donated by the Gillespie Group. So, uh, and then I heard you know, other people just say they want they don't. This just refers to the rink. It's 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 fine. There's no problem. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, I'm going to keep emphasizing this in this commentary. The rink is old, and it's time for a new rink. And to me, it's not that far off campus. I mean, I go back to 1997 when they were first talking about building an off-campus facility down uh, at the bottom of the street where the uh, uh, soccer field is now near the Hoffman's Car Wash. And I remember the players were not, thrilled about that about going off campus and this is before union bought the sewer place area so um, to me that's that's what basically killed the deal and i always thought that the land they should have gone after was uh where the price chopper uh offices are now there on knot street uh i think there could have been a lot more room i don't think there was really enough room for, to uh put a hockey facility where they had pl- intended to back uh, in 1997 when they were proposing uh, that uh, deal so I mean, and I, you know, I've seen renderings of of the uh, facility. To me, it looks nice. I mean, you, you have a lot more space. Uh, there's going to be plenty of concession stands, and I think really the, the biggest thing. And it's going to sound silly, but there'll be more bathrooms if you if you're there at Messerink throughout the season, especially when it's crowded, and you have to wait basically till you're just hoping you don't miss the start of a period. That's, you know, there's not, not, there was always lines outside both the men's and women's bathrooms. Uh, maybe if you're lucky enough, you got to go downstairs to go to the bathroom, but you know, I know it's kind of, you, you want, why are we talking bathrooms when we're talking hockey? Well, that's, that's, you, you don't want to miss the action and you get stuck in line and you miss the start of the period. You could miss the goal. I mean, especially if the game goes overtime uh, in, in the postseason. So, um, I mean, it's, it's still we're still years away. I think we're a couple of years away from this happening. If they get, they have to raise money. Of course, unions also have to raise money for the scholarships. So there's there going to be a lot of fundraising going on for this program over the next uh, few months to get this uh, facility and get the funding to get the our new rink. So I, I mean, I, I like I like the fact that they're looking at that and. 
again, the people are saying, well, it's off campus and they wanted on, they'd rather be on campus. It's, what, let's, other than what, what's on campus that is exciting to you? Is there a place you go after the games to eat on campus? No. You'll have after the game. You have the you'll have the casino. You have the restaurants and bars downtown, and you have a better shot uh, getting out after the game. And of course, then the parking. The parking is going to be fantastic. You're not going to have to you know try to you know park a mile away. Uh, with you, have, you sometimes you have to do at, at Union. So it's going to be a I think just a just a great plan and. Uh, of course, you know, the coaching situation as of this taping, I'm taping this portion late Wednesday night. Uh, we still don't know what's going on with that. Uh, you know, we, the, the interviews are, from what I gather, almost done. Um, talking with Jim McLaughlin, the athletic director, uh, he's hoping to have something. And this timeline's always been before the start of the college hockey convention, which is so it starts next Wednesday. Down in Naples, Florida. So, you know, that with the Easter holiday weekend and the Passover weekend coming up, I don't know if there's a rush to get uh, something done before that. So, uh, you obviously will you know, keep following me on Twitter at Slapshots to keep the, on the latest situation going on there. So, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, time here with Union Hockey, <laughs> you know, with uh, with the coaching situation, the rink, um, scholarships. So, it's a lot of fun. Uh, some other college hockey news we should mention that, that took place on Wednesday. After a 50-year coaching career, Jerry York has retired from Boston College. And what what amazing a career. 1,123 wins, 41, a record-setting 41 NCAA tournament victories, five NCAA championships for them at Boston College. He also won one at Bowling Green. Of course, he coached at Clarkson. I mean, he's had a successful career at Boston College alum. Came back to re, uh, resuscitate the program, and boy, did he ever. He won his first uh, title with BC uh, as the coach in 2001 here at, at, in Albany at then uh, Pepsi Arena when they beat North Dakota in overtime 3-2 uh, to two to take that championship. Of course, Nitsky and native Mike Lephart was on that team. Uh, then they went... Every other year for a while there, 2008, 2010, and 2012 down in Tampa with uh, Cliff Park native Patch Alber winning the championship there. So, um, great career. But the only thing Jerry couldn't do was beat Union. <laughs> i got to say that. Of course, uh, Union went 2-0 against uh, the Eagles, beating them in the 2013 uh, uh, NCAA East Regional down in Providence. Of course, the following year, uh, the Daniel Champini game, uh, the Daniel Champini with the hat trick in the 5-4 semifinal victory in Philadelphia. And, of course, two days later, Union won the national championship, beating Minnesota 7-4. So, uh, I mean, I've talked to Jerry York a few times. and Just a wonderful man, a wonderful man. Um, I hope he enjoys retirement. Uh, it's interesting situation times now in, in college hockey in Boston where – you know, now not only uh, Boston College, but Boston University is still looking for a head coach. Uh, the the uh, firing of Albie O'Connell. And, of course, uh, Michigan State also looking for a coach uh, uh, after Dan Cole was fired 
um, earlier this week. So it's uh, some interesting uh, jobs out there. And uh, Jerry Keefe at Northeastern now is the uh, most tenured men's hockey coach in Boston. And so uh, he's he's the, the dean of college hockey coaches in, in Boston. I don't know if he likes that label or not. But, uh, well, again, gr- congratulations, Jerry York. What a wonderful career. And uh, uh, at the age of 76, he wants, I was reading the press release from Boston College, he wants to actually play golf in the fall. So, well, he'll get to do that. Uh, this fall. So, I mean, he began his coaching career at Clarkson at the age of 27. Well, he was there from 1972 until 1979 before taking over Bowling Green and, uh, you know, obviously winning the national championship in 1984. And, and of course, we've mentioned the uh, four titles with Boston College. So, Jerry, enjoy retirement and appreciate all of the times we've talked and, uh, Uh, Good luck, and if we run each other down the road, I'll make sure to say hello to you. Well, coming up, I'll speak with uh, NBC NFL rules expert Terry McCauley. We'll talk some football, but we're going to talk a little bit uh, about something else he is very interested in. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Glenn Clark, head coach and general manager of the Albany Firewolves lacrosse team. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. My next guest was an NFL official for 20 years, 17 of them as a referee. He was the referee in three Super Bowls, and you know him as the rules expert on NBC's Sunday Night Football. But there is something else fascinating about him. His commentary on his personal Twitter account on the classic Casey Kasem's American Top 40 shows that run on Sirius XM. I'm happy to welcome Terry McCauley to the show. Terry, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate doing this. I think we're going to have some fun with this. I think so, Ken. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about some NFL stuff later because I have some questions about officiating and everything. But I stumbled onto this, I would say, about a month, month and a half ago on your account. And I was thinking, my first thought was, is this the same term Macaulay that was also the rules expert? Because I didn't realize you had a separate Twitter account at, at that point. But what fascinates you? What, what is about you love about music? Well, I grew up in the 70s. You know, basically, I was 10 years old in 70 through 20 years old in 1980. So I lived, I mean, I was in the car an awful lot listening to the radio, always waiting for the next great song to come on. And and I just I, I've always believed that, that the seventies were the, the best decade ever for music. Uh the the variety, uh everything about it was everything was about the each and every song. It was great. I st- I've listened to it ever since. Uh every every, every my, my main channel is seventies on seven from Series XM. And I just, I just can't get enough of those, those classic tunes 
knowing in one moment it may be country, it may be R&B, it may be soul, it may be pop, whatever. You know, that, that, all of that comes into play when I, when, I, when I listen to music now. Either on my playlist or my, my portable players, I, I, I just do a random scramble and see, oh, what's going to come up next? Love the, love the tunes from the seventies. Yeah, that was, that was a different, interesting year. Interesting year because I mean, I think we're you graduated high school in nineteen seventy seven, right? Correct. Yes. Okay, because I graduated grade school that year, and our our theme song at my grade school in uh, Northeast Philadelphia was uh, Barry Manos "Looks Like We Made It." So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, but I, mean, just, I think it's a I think it can I think it's a typical thing. <laughs> it was a different time, but as you said, I mean, there was so much going on. I mean, you're coming out of the '60s with the uh, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, the Doors. I mean, you're starting to get the uh, I would say heavy metal sound. Then you're getting the singer songwriters who are becoming popular, and then we get into the mid '70s and disco started coming. I mean, you're right. It's, it was a great time. It's just the creativity that was out there. I mean, it's amazing to me how much. I mean, I love the '70s music too, most of it, and it's it's a great great sound. I and mean, I'll, I'll crank something up if I hear it and sing along in the car. Oh, oh, yes, that is one of the great things to do, as loud as possible, no doubt about it. So how did you get started doing the commentary on the Twitter account? Well, I've been listening to Kate, it's one of my favorite things to do, I've been listening to it for years, I mean, as long as I can remember on, on, on the 70s, because I grew up with that, that was the weekly thing, mm -hmm. every Saturday, and, and, and during the entire decade of the 70s, listening to Casey's commentary. And then, of course, it, you know, it, it shows up on Sirius XM 7s on 7. And I didn't realize there was this fairly large group of people that were doing commentary. Some, one of my followers who knew I was a, a music fan, because I, I guess it's in my profile, I talked a little bit about it, and every once in a while would comment, send me say, hey, you know, hashtag AT40, you know, you might want to join. A lot of interesting commentary, and it's a lot of fun. And the first time I did it, I fell in love with it. There's, I, I'm, a, I'm one of those few people that actually love social media. I mean, I understand the hate and all that other garbage that goes on, but I kind of avoid that in the political world. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you, there are so many sharp, really witty, knowledgeable, observant people that if you can, you, you can filter all that other stuff out, which I can do very easily, you really find the gems. And, you know, at any given moment, like I'm, I'm sure you were following this past weekend where one of the posters is, is posting uh, still photos of Charles Nelson Riley from the match game with, <laughs> with, with answers that was perfect for whatever song was playing. It, I thought it was brilliant. And, and, and I, just, I, got, I just get such a kick out of it for the, the two hours plus that it's on. So many, so much great commentary. You don't have to agree with everybody. No, who cares? But it's it's just a lot of fun and something I look forward to every week. Yeah, I mean, you have some interesting comments. I'm just scrolling through your Twitter feed right now from uh, last Saturday. You have the Hotel California uh, album cover photo, uh, and it said, "In your opinion, only the fourth or fifth is best song." Uh, you're talking about Hotel California and one of the all-time great albums. Why is that only the fourth or fifth? I, you know, I, I judge every song that's on there. I think it's a great song, no question about it. But when you go through that album and you get wasted time and, 
you know, even try try and love again by by Randy Meisner, uh, New Kid in Town. I I just like those songs better over time. I mean, I, I think Hotel California, as some people know, was has been tremendously played, overplayed, possibly mm-hmm. even though it is still a great song. These others just strike a chord with me that that I like better I, I i don't know why i mean i i'm i'm out there with i, I said that randy meisner is my favorite eagle i mean i mean who, who's who believe whoever whoever thinks that yeah you got Emily and fry out there but but it's true i just like those those songs just a little bit better even though you know obviously hotel california is 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 one of the great songs of all time yeah i mean you talk about randy meisner he's had the lead on um uh, take it to the limit, and the way that song starts out, almost to me, I, and I pointed this out to uh, my, a friend of mine who's a disc jockey in Philadelphia. It's almost the, the beginning of that song. Almost sounds like uh, Harold Melvin the Blue Notes. Uh, you know, if you know me by now, if you, if you don't know me by now, and that's like yeah, it does. Yes, yes, um, I, I would agree. And it's you know, I've, I've read a little research a little bit about it, and I guess it's it's one of the few songs that's it's really a waltz. From what uh, what the, the uh, you know Fry and, and Meisner have talked about, that it's 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 in waltz time. I'm not a music expert mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination in that kind of world, technically, but that's what they're saying, and it just it just gets you. That is my all time favorite song, without question. Yeah, um, I, there's another tweet I just got. I, I, I laughed at this one. Was, I think I, re, I replied to it. I think it had something to do with a muskrat. Uh, you, you think the outdid <laughs> this captain and Tennille were talking about. Uh, you said I think they outdid their talent level, but with some good tunes. However, I will never forgive them for releasing one of the worst songs in the history of music. I, I can't even type the name of it. I, I mean, I just I cried. Up. I kind of figured what the song was. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I kind of did that first because I think everybody in this in this in our in our AT40 world knew it. I didn't need to type the name of it. Everybody, that is just how it how it hit the top forty and got us. I don't even remember how high it got. Is, is beyond me. I mean, there's no accounting for taste. No, I don't know how they, you know, record sales, whatever they did back then. There's, there was no excuse. And there are a handful of like that. I, I feel the same way about Midnight at the Oasis. Um, uh, even Stevie Wonder has one that I put in that same category, Boogie on Reggae One. Can't stand it. Cannot, cannot listen to it under any circumstances. So there's a handful of those songs that, that just somehow, I, 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 there, there's no way I can listen to. They're so... And I think it's my my uh, my favorite. Uh, low ranking is god awful. I mean, <laughs> these songs are just god awful in my opinion. Yeah. And, and some people may like it. And that's fair. Everybody has different tastes. But for me, absolutely not. Can't just muskrat is it's it's the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> what decade? What 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 year? I should say in the seventies. You think was the best year? I I I'm a, I'm for a very long time. I believe nineteen seventy is. Uh, and it was funny. Somebody had tweeted out the top twenty from nineteen seventy just recently, and I looked at it, and and I I believe in just that one week they went twenty for twenty in the top twenty. I mean that's unheard of. Yeah. Every single song, and it was beyond that. Not just that I like them, but I, arguably at least sixteen or somewhere around sixteen of the twenty all-time classics that have clearly stood the test of time and when you look at the top 100 from the from that from 1970 the just the sheer numbers of great songs uh and the limited number of 
god-awful songs just strikes me as, as, as incredible. It was certainly a transition year. It started in 69 with, with, with that type of music and just led into this, this, this year of 1970 that un, just basically unforgettable songs, and the number of them is what really is, is, is amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'm looking at it right now. I'll read the top five for you. It's, uh, Let It Be just entered the number one spot on April 11th, 1970. That was followed by the Jackson Five with ABC, uh, John Lennon with Instant Karma, and of course uh, Norman Greenbaum with uh, Spirit in the Sky, number four, and then uh, Simon and Garfunkel's classic Bridge Over Troubled Water, which had been number one, uh, and it dropped to number five that week. So that mean, and even Bobby Sherman cracked the uh, top uh, ten that year with uh, Easy Come, Easy Go at number nine. He did, and that may not be an all-time classic, but it's a fun pop hit. Yeah. That it's hard to hate that one. He may have had some others that are easier to hate, but it's it's a fun pop hit, and uh, and I think it maybe kind of a bubblegumish thing, last of the of those types of, of sounds, but not bad. I mean, just just I, I wouldn't turn it off if it if it popped up on the radio. It's just, just a fun short short little fun song. Yeah. Okay. You say 1970 is the best year. What was the worst year? Uh, as you get later in the 70s, I, I begin to struggle with it. Um, generally, it's, 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 it's 78, 79-ish. Uh, even though I've become uh, much more interested in Yacht Rock uh, that, that started happening in the later later 70s that had kind of softened my, my image of, of 79. But I, I think we, we lost, I, it, we just didn't have those singer-songwriter stories uh, that we had. I, I, I do. I, I, I was a fan of disco, not necessarily on the radio, um, but I think that kind of over, you know, over overplayed its hand in those years. So, but still good. I mean, I, I say this, you know, worst year. It's all relative. It's still. I listen to seventy eight, seventy nine music any day over, over uh, decade, over years and other decades, especially after eighty nine. Once we yeah. get after '89, I mean, I you know we're on one, we're looking at one hand per decade for good songs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think once '90 for me it was like 1993. I, I think the grunge was really getting at its height there. I sort of got out of that and started you know, listening to the classics again. And uh, yeah, it's it's and today's music. I mean, I, I don't know how you know the, the hip hop's great for the people that love it. But I, I'm not a fan of it, but. I just it's a, and it's a different world out there. It is, and it seems like those genres have their core fans. But in the seventies, every genre was loved by everybody. I mean, my mother was, you know, a, a huge fan of seventies music. She was not one of those that turned that crap off because she was playing it. Uh, it was so so it, it expanded, you know, the the, the, the ages the. The, the various the countries listen to R and B, who listen to country, who listen to soul, who listen to the everything. Everybody was listening to everything back then, yeah. which you just don't have that anymore. It's so specialized, it seems. Of course, they, they had the big uh, disco sucks night at the, the White Sox game again against Detroit back in '79, and really that probably ended ended disco as we knew it. And I think the Bee Gees got vilified for that. But I, I, I think looking back now, looking back on that, I mean, I think what the Bee Gees did was great. I think Barry Gibb 
outside of the Bee Gees does not get enough credit for a lot of the songwriting and producing he has done. I mean, he uh, produced a Grammy Award winning album for Barbra Streisand. I mean, he, he had a, a big hit with uh, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton with Islands in the Stream. And to me, I think Barry Gibb gets overlooked as a songwriter. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, the, the, what he did from, what, the late 60s through the 80s, whether it be their own, you know, releases or somebody else's, you know, again, they stood the test of time. Uh, they're, they're, they are still great songs. He was certainly a great writer. I don't know if you've seen the HBO documentary, How to Mend a Broken Heart. One of, I mean, it's, 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 it's a classic documentary on, on their history and really gets into why their music was so appreciated at the time and, and still is. Um, you talk about, I, I think the, the, the disco got silly. That's what, what created the, the, the mass, uh, uh, Exodus from from that, you know, with Disco Duck and some of the other silly songs that that were not part of the dance culture uh, that disco was, and and it really wasn't meant to be overplayed on the radio like it was. But it was good. It was a lot of fun. It, you know, you went and danced for hours and hours and hours, and and it was it was great music for that. I tend to think early '80s dance evolved into some of the best dance music. The Shannons, uh, Daz Band, things like that mm -hmm. were, were outstanding, and they kind of took that that next step for for the dance craze, so to speak. Yeah, because you know, we were talking before we went on, on the air here, and I, I grew up, I, I went to college, York College of Pennsylvania, and I was involved with the college radio station uh, doing a variety of things between uh, being a DJ on our stations, uh, program director, station manager, sportscaster, newscaster. I mean, to me, this I, I love the 70s music, but I, to me, I think the the biggest, the best music that was came out between 1982 and 1986 was you had a fresh young artist coming out like Madonna, like Duran Duran, REM, U2, and then you had MTV just starting out back when MTV actually played music videos. And of course, yeah, you should mention Michael Jackson. I mean, the, the thrill, the thrill album just uh, exploded and really changed. I think the dynamic, everything. So, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts about the eighties, but like I said, 1982, 1986 for me was, was a great time to be involved in college radio and listen to what was coming out. Yeah. I kind of rediscovered the eighties about, I want to say 10 years ago, maybe. I had, because I was at violently opposed to it. I, there was, there's just that 80s sound had, had, was just so overdone. And then, like I said, about 10 years ago, I started listening again. I said, wait a minute. This is really good stuff. That time period you're, you're talking about, uh, great, great pop tunes, uh, with some rock mixed in, some ballads from the hard rock, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. That, that I had lost appreciation for, I had regained. So, so I, you know, every once in a while, I'll show up on the, on the 80s channel and listen to it for quite a while. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Really, really good stuff. When you were official, uh, did you get yourself uh, geared up for, did you listen to music prior to, to a game? I didn't. I was, I was really focused on the game. I know a lot of players like to have their headphones on. You know, prior to the game, you know, there wasn't, you know, you know, maybe a little bit of, of, of music in the morning, but not much. Yeah. And, but after the game, on the airplane going home, 
with a glass of wine on the plane or something. You know, I put my earphones in. Uh, same going to the game, flying, flying there. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as I sit down in my seat, and I still do it today, I, I put my earphones in and just get lost in the music. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I take the train up to Connecticut uh, for the games, it just, they sit and, you know, I just listen to music for, for three hours or whatever. And it, you know, the world, the world's all right when, when I'm doing that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and again, it's my, I have my player and, and uh, I just put it on random. And, and, and here we go. When there was TV timeouts, so when, when you were officiating games and they were playing music, did you find yourself maybe, you know, grooving a little bit to the song? <laughs> oh, I did. I, yeah, when, when, when you get to, you know, they were, stadiums were all over the map on what type of music they played. But every once in a while you want, hey, we're, we're, we're having a good day today with, with, the, with the music during timeouts. Yeah, absolutely. You, you pick up on that pretty quickly that, okay, this is, this is good. This is a good place to be today. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many Eagles games you officiated at uh, Lincoln Financial Field, but when Lito Shepard played there, and if you had a great player in interception, they'd play uh, the Lito Shuffle, and the, you know, the place went nuts. Yeah, oh yeah, I, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, I had, I don't know how many of them were in Philadelphia, but somebody somebody said, because I went after Andy Reid went to uh, Kansas City, I, I made a mistake after coming out of replay and said Philadelphia is not charged with a timeout because it was Andy. Uh, and I had him, I guess somebody did the, did the numbers, and I, I had him 18 times wow. uh, as a referee. So, I mean, my, it was Andy and I in Philadelphia forever. So I was so caught up on that. So lots of time in Philadelphia for sure. Yeah. Well, let me t- let's ask you about some officiating. I have questions for you because, you, as I said, you, you were a referee for 17 years in the league for 20. How has officiating changed uh, since uh, you've been doing it? But the biggest change we see is is the use of replay technology, whatever, uh, as as the next step to help help officiating be better on the field. And I don't think it's been overall a positive, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the one in, in fact, the, the biggest change was when they gave the the, the officials their. their ability to communicate with each other. They call it O2O, official-to-official communication system. So they can talk to each other constantly during the game, talk to the replay official, even New York, they can talk to that. So instead of kind of being out there, you know, together, just doing this, putting your your rear end on the line every single play, you, you, you have a crutch now. And, and I don't think it helps I, I think that people are better when it's all on me. It's on me. I got to get this right. Nobody's going to help me. I've got to take the risk. I've got to get it right. That's been the biggest change uh, I've seen, and I don't think it's helped. Uh, John Perry, who's the ESPN analyst, we talk a lot about it, uh, that if, if we had one thing to change tomorrow, we'd get rid of that whole system. There is, the, the, you know, I'll say this, the good part about it is you can get information from one side of the field to the other coach very quickly. That's a good thing. I get that. But the crutch it's, that, that, that it's created for officials, some of these officials have never done anything on their own without that crutch. And you can tell, uh, you know, after a play, the first thing they do is they go to the button to ask a question about, you know, whatever happened instead of just doing it themselves. So, uh you know, I know we have all these people out there that want all this new technology to help perfect officiating. Well, they're trying it, and officiating's 
not any better. It's not worse, but it's not any better than it was without all this. So I'd, I'd rather get rid of that. I think there's a couple things that fans are frustrated about. It involves the roughing the passer penalty and I think the headshots. I mean, obviously in college, there's target, that targeting penalty. If you get if you, they catch you targeting, you're thrown out of the game. They don't have that in the NFL. But let's talk about the roughing the passer. It's so subjective. Sometimes you see guys just barely touched and they get flagged for it, and other times a quarterback gets slammed and doesn't. Why, why do you think it's so inconsistent with that call? Well, it's very difficult. It happens very quickly. In real time, uh, you've, got, you've got the referee looking at him. He's got to make a decision. Uh, did he hit him in the head or did he not? And sometimes there's angles. There's, there's, there's other issues involved. It's, it's difficult. And uh, the, what people, and, and I think most fans understand, the NFL is going to protect, protect their star players. It's, it's just going to, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want 32 backup quarterbacks on the field. So they're going to do that. If, if you know, when in question, it's going to be a foul. And if, if there's a miss here or there, the league's going to live with it because they don't want it to ever be missed. They want the defenders to, to hit the quarterbacks legally, and they don't want the defenders to think, well, this referee's not going to call it. I'm going to get away with it. So that's why you get some of these that, that you know, you look slow motion real time. No, that's probably, that doesn't look like much at all to me. Well, in real time, the officials making a judgment. The league wants me to protect this quarterback. I'm going to do it today. And what about targeting? I mean, what, what, I mean, obviously, like I said, they throw the kids out of the, in college. I mean, to me, can should headshots be reviewed while the, during the game or in the in the NFL, or is that something you just have to live with if they miss it? I, I think eventually they're going to get there. Um, you know, they they they've tried to avoid, and I'm not a big fan of expanding replay. But when you get to talking about player safety, I think that's a whole different conversation than the normal, is it pass interference or not? Uh, so I, I think if it becomes an issue where the officials on the field are indeed missing too many, and some, some people may think one is too many, uh, of these player safety fouls, that will send them in the direction of we've got to allow, we've got to have a, a backup plan so this 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 type of action is never missed. If it means stopping the game for a minute or two to get this one right, to get this player properly penalized because he hit the guy in the head and it wasn't seen on the field, I, I, you know, I, I think we they will get to that at some point. I know they've had discussions about it. Uh, they just haven't pulled the trigger, be, trigger because they, they just don't want to expand replay there yet. Well, Terry, this has been a lot of fun talking about music, talking about the NFL. Where can people find you or follow you on the Twitter for your uh, music commentary? For music commentary, it's at TJ McCauley, M-C-A-U-L-A-Y. And then where about uh, for your professional account? For NFL, it is, uh, for rules, actually college and, and the NFL, it's at SNF, SNF Rules. By the way, no Al Michaels, and it's going to be Mike Tirico there. I mean, that's how different is that going to be? 
It's well, it's not a lot of difference for me because I've worked, been working without with uh, with Mike uh, since I started doing this in 2018 for Notre Dame home games. Mm-hmm. So, so Mike and I have already worked together. Uh, we have a new producer who also was doing the Notre Dame games. He's gonna he's gonna be there. So, there's really not going to be a lot of change for me uh, because I'm working with three people uh, out. Um, uh, Mike, Chris, and, and and our producer that I've already worked with for years, so not a, not a lot of differences. Uh, thank goodness for me. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I am going to miss Al, of course. You know, certainly considered arguably the greatest of all time at what he does. Um, I think he's going to be phenomenal. Uh, it'd be interesting to watch him and Kurt Herbstreit together uh, for sure. But I am uh, I, I am very excited about our new team. And, uh, and and it's in fact my, our producer called me yesterday, and we're going to get together and, and, and talk about uh, our plans for the season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mike is a the consummate professional, and uh, well, you know one of the hardest working people in the business, and he is a lot of fun to work with. Yeah. Uh, sorry again, appreciate it so much, and uh, we'll follow your commentary uh, weekly. I'll probably be commenting, uh, replying to your comments as well. <laughs> I can't wait. You know, we got. I'm, 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 sometimes I might even do the Thursday Wheel of Casey. So I know we had a great one last week. I may even try to, to, to tune in there as well. So, so those are a lot of fun. Anytime I can find them. All right, appreciate it, Terry. Sure, thank you. Love being with you. Yeah, thank great, you very much. Day. That's Terry McCall. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and the latest ad- winner in the uh, Daily, Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. favorite high school sports memory? A late inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Will Brown, the head coach and general manager of the Albany Patroons. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 8 winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is James Sennes of Schenectady. James wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, James. The VIP winners are Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment, And for the second consecutive week, me. I'm actually the overall leader now. I I know my NASCAR. I'm a big NASCAR expert. Well, not really, of course. But, uh, hey, I got off to a slow start, but I'm doing pretty well right now. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you'd like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the Auto Racing Contest banner. 
Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Terry McCauley for coming on the show. Next week, I'll have some interviews with members of the Albany Empire as they get set to open defense of their National Arena League Championship next Saturday. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at SHOTT. That's S-C-H-O-T-T at DailyGazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at SlapShots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, happy Easter, and happy Passover.